believe in freedom cannot rest. We who believe in freedom cannot rest until it comes. We who believe Hello and welcome to Accent of Women, a show by and about women from diverse cultures and languages right across the world. I'm Giselle Hanna. Today on Accent of Women, I broadcast a speech by Angela Davis that was delivered in October 2013 at Birkbeck School of Law. The talk is called Freedom is a Constant Struggle, Closures and Continuities. I was listening to this speech recently, and every point made is relevant and salient for those of us organising for freedom today. So I wanted to give you, the listener, the benefit of some of these lessons. Something to note. This speech was made in 2013, so prior to the election of Donald Trump. Angela Davis is a writer and distinguished professor emerita of history of consciousness and feminist studies at the University of California, Santa Cruz. Her work as an educator, both at the university level and in the larger public sphere, has emphasised the importance of building communities of struggle for economic, racial and gender justice. In recent years, she's focused on the range of social problems associated with incarceration and the generalised criminalisation of those communities that are most affected by poverty and racial discrimination. I'll be broadcasting this speech over two episodes of Accent of Women. So here's part one. They say that freedom is a constant struggle. They say that freedom is a constant struggle. They say that freedom is a constant struggle. Oh Lord, we've struggled so long. We must be free. We must be free. I'd like to thank the School of Law at Birkbeck and Executive Dean uh, Patricia Tewitt for having invited me to speak to you this evening. Um, And I'll do some other thanks as well. Uh, And Professor Patrick Hannafin for the uh, wonderful introduction. Uh, He ended with a song. I began with a song. And I'd like to thank Yvette Branson for having initially asked me to speak here in connection with her honorary research fellowship and artist-in-residence project, which is called Barriers to Freedom. And then, of course, I'd like to thank Michael Mansfield uh, for agreeing to respond. I met Yvette um, and Michael when I served on the Russell Tribunal on Palestine along with Michael um, Mansfield. So the title of my talk is drawn from a freedom song that was repeatedly sung in the southern United States during the 20th century freedom movement. The other verses of that song evoke crying, sorrow, mourning, dying. They say freedom is a constant dying. We've died so long. We must be free. And I like the irony of the last line of each of the verses. We've struggled so long, we've cried so long, we've sorrowed so long, we've moaned so long, we've died so long, we must be free. We must be free. And of course, there's simultaneously resignation and promise in that line. There is critique and inspiration 
We must be free. We must be free. But are we really free? In 2007, I was invited by Baroness Lola Young to speak here in London on the occasion of the bicentennial of the abolition of slavery in the UK. But at the last minute, I was unable to make the trip because um, uh, my mother um, passed on the day I was scheduled to leave for London. Serendipitously, this is also a year of major anniversaries, anniversaries in the U.S. that reflect the history of the black freedom struggle. So I've been asked to speak about the meaning of freedom in the sesquicentennial year of the U.S. Emancipation Proclamation and during the 50th anniversary year of pivotal events in the 20th century black freedom struggle in the United States. So let me begin by evoking some of the 50th anniversary events. This is the 50th anniversary of Dr. Martin Luther King's letter from a Birmingham jail in which he defended his decision to organize in Birmingham, where he was accused of being an outside agitator, uh, in this way. I am cognizant, he wrote, of the interrelatedness of all communities and states. I cannot sit idly by in Atlanta and not be concerned about what happens in Birmingham. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere, and you're probably familiar with that uh, quote. We are caught, he wrote, in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. And then he proceeds to evoke History. For more than two centuries, he wrote, our forebears labored in this country without wages. They made cotton king. They built the homes of their masters while suffering gross injustice and shameful humiliation. And yet, out of a bottomless vitality, they continued to thrive and develop. If the inexpressible inexpressible cruelties of slavery could not stop us. The opposition we now face will surely fail. We're also observing the 50th anniversary year of the Birmingham Children's Crusade. And it may not be so widely known that the success of the Birmingham campaign um, uh, was possible because vast numbers of school children, girls and boys, at the beginning of May in 1963, faced police dogs and high-power hoses. Uh, Their televised demonstrations, and incidentally, uh, uh, 
television was um, quite young, and it was really the first time that people outside of the South had the opportunity to witness these demonstrations. And they reveal to the world the determination with which black people continue to struggle for freedom. 1963 was also the year of the March on Washington, the March on Washington for Jobs and Justice, for Jobs and Freedom, rather, which was attended by some 250,000 people. And at that time, it was the largest ever human assembly in Washington. This past August, there were two marches in Washington, um, one of which was addressed by Presidents Obama and Clinton, and the other by um, figures who represent themselves as current civil rights leaders. Uh, I I won't go into uh, (laughs) their names. Uh, (laughs) Um, And there were a series of events that marked the 50th anniversary. It was, uh, many people did not know which march to attend. Uh, I think one was on the 24th, one was on the 28th. Uh, But last month, in September, a number of events took place in Birmingham, Alabama, which, um, as you heard, is where I was born and where I grew up. Um, uh, And these events observed the 50th anniversary of the bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church and the killing of four young black girls. Uh, the height of the observances was the bestowal of the highest civilian honor, the Congressional Gold Medal on the families of the four girls killed in uh, the bombing. Uh, although uh, the, the, the sister of one of the girls, uh, Sarah Collins, sister of Addie Mae Collins, uh, 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 she uh, she did not die, but she lost an eye and was severely um, injured. And to this day, she has received no official assistance with her medical bills. Uh, now, what what I fear about many of these observances is that they tend to enact historical closures. They are represented as historical high points on a road to an ultimately triumphant democracy, one which can be displayed as a model for the world, one which perhaps can serve as justification for military incursions, including the increased use of drones in the so-called war on terror that has resulted in the killing of vast numbers of people, especially in Pakistan. While criticizing the Obama administration for the increased use of drones, I must at the same time acknowledge that his speech on the 50th anniversary of the March on Washington um, uh, for its attempt to represent freedom struggles as unfinished and for at least attempting to focus on continuities rather than closures. But evoking the old adage, I must say, that actions really do speak louder than words. 
No one can deny that global popular culture is saturated with references to the 20th century black freedom movement. We know that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is one of the most widely known historical figures in the world. Inside the U.S., there are more than 900 streets named after Dr. King in 40 states, Washington, D.C., and Puerto Rico. But it has been suggested um, by geographers who have studied these naming practices that they've been used to deflect attention from persisting social problems, the lack of education, housing, jobs, and the use of carceral strategies to conceal the continued presence of these problems. There are more than 900 streets named after Dr. King, but there are also some 2.5 million people in U.S. jails, prisons, youth facilities, military prisons, and jails in Indian country. The population of those facilities constitute 25% of the world's incarcerated population as compared to 5% of the planet's population at large. 25% of the world's incarcerated population serves as fodder for a vast prison industrial complex with global dimensions that profits from strategies designed to hide social problems that have remained unaddressed since the era of slavery. Moreover, police violence and racist vigilante violence is at its height. The Trayvon Martin case in the U.S. recalls the Stephen Lawrence case here. But also Islamophobic violence is nurtured by histories of anti-black racist violence. There is simultaneously a saturated geographical presence of the culture of the black freedom movement and a lack of anything more than abstract knowledge about that movement. Um, I would dare say that most people who are familiar with Dr. Martin Luther King and the vast majority of people in the world are familiar with him, I think, They know little more than the fact that he had a dream. (laughs) And of course, all of us have had dreams. (laughs) And as a matter of fact, the I have a dream speech is the most widely circulated of all of his orations. Relatively few people are aware of the Riverside Church speech on Vietnam and the way he came to recognize the intersections and interconnections of the black liberation movement and the campaign to end the war in Vietnam. Therefore, understandings of the 20th century freedom movement that help us cultivate more complicated ideas of the geographies and temporalities of freedom are suppressed. Dominant representations of the black freedom movement are of a discrete series of historical moments. 
largely produced by the 1955 Montgomery bus boycott. And somehow, although Martin Luther King Jr. himself began to emerge to prominence as a consequence of that boycott, he is seen as always already the orator and leader of the, sing- of the civil rights movement. Even though numbers of books, both scholarly and popular, have been written on the role of women in the 1955 boycott, Dr. King, who was actually invited to be a spokesperson for a movement when he was uh, uh, entirely unknown, the movement had already formed, Dr. King remains the dominant figure. And I wonder, will we ever truly recognize the collective subject of history that was itself produced by radical organizing. Early on, during the 30s, the 1930s, the 1940s, and I'm referring, for example, to an organization um, which was known as the Southern Negro Youth Congress, which has largely been excised from the official historical record because some of its key leaders were communists. As Carol Boyce Davis has pointed out uh, um, in her uh, wonderful book on Claudia Jones, uh, um, left of Karl Marx, Claudia Jones was one of the leaders of the Negro Youth Congress, the American Negro Youth Congress and the Southern Negro Youth Congress. And I mentioned Jones both because of her important work in the U.S. and because she became a pivotal figure in the organizing of Caribbean communities here in Britain after she was arrested for the work she did in the U.S. and eventually deported. How can we counteract the representation of historical agents as powerful uh, individuals, powerful male individuals, in order to reveal the part played, for example, by black women domestic workers in the black freedom movement? Regimes of racial segregation were not disestablished because of the work of leaders and presidents and legislators, but rather because of the fact that ordinary people adopted a critical stance in the way in which they perceived their relationship to reality. Social realities that may have appeared inalterable, impenetrable, came to be viewed as malleable and transformable. And people learned how to imagine what it might mean to live in a world that was not so exclusively governed by the principle of white supremacy. This collective consciousness emerged within the context of social struggles. Orlando Patterson has argued that the very concept of freedom, which is held so dear throughout um, the, the West, 
which has inspired so many world historical revolutions. That very concept of freedom must have been first imagined by slaves. During the era of the 20th century black freedom movement, the human beings whose predicament most approximated that of slaves, that of these slaves from whom they were descended, were black women domestic workers. We're referring to people, women who cleaned house, who cooked, who uh, were uh, laundry women, As a matter of fact, during the 1950s, some 90% of all black women were domestic workers. And given the fact that the majority of people who rode buses in Montgomery, Alabama in 1955 were black domestic workers, why is it so difficult to imagine and acknowledge what must have been among these black women domestic workers, uh, uh, this um, amazing collective imagination of a future world without racial and gender and economic oppression. Uh, um, Even though we may not know the names of all of those women who refuse to ride the bus from poor black communities to affluent white communities in Montgomery, Alabama, it seems that uh, we should at least acknowledge their collective accomplishment. Uh, That boycott would not have been successful without uh, uh, their refusals, without their critical refusals. Uh, And thus, uh, a figure like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. might never have emerged into prominence. Uh, Fannie Lou Hamer, some of you may, uh, if you've studied the history of the U.S. Civil Rights Movement or the U.S. Freedom Movement, uh, you may have run across the name of Fannie Lou Hamer. She was a sharecropper, and a domestic worker. She was a timekeeper on a cotton plantation in the 1960s. And she emerged as a leader of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, SNCC, and as a leader of the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party. Um, She said... All my life, I have been sick and tired. Now, I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. And in 1964, she received, she achieved national prominence when she demanded that members of her Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party, which was an racially integrated party be seated at the National Democratic Party convention at the expense of seats that were uh, given to the all-white Democratic Party delegation. In many ways, she paved the way for Barack Obama, but that is another story. 
That was part one of Angela Davis's speech, Freedom is a Constant Struggle, Closures and Continuities, delivered at the Birkbeck School of Law in October 2013. A special thank you to Backdoor Broadcasting Company for the use of their audio, and you can check out a range of speeches that they make available free of charge by going to backdoorbroadcasting.net. And that's all we have time for on today's program of Accent of Women. Accent of Women is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally via the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can write to us at accentofwomen at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or like our page on Facebook. If you want to hear this show again or any of our previous programs, you can download the podcast from 3CR's website. That's 3cr.org.au. And that's a digit three, not spelled out in letters. Go to the Accent of Women page and follow the links to this week's show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Giselle Hanna and I look forward to your company again next week. We who believe in freedom cannot rest. We who believe in freedom cannot rest until it comes. We who believe in freedom cannot rest. Oh, how can you rest? We who believe in freedom cannot rest until it comes. Until the killing of black men, black mothers. We